Hello and welcome back to Study Plus, the occasional podcast where we look a little more at an issue that has arisen during our Wednesday night Bible studies here at Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, taught by Pastor Mike Foch. My name is Brian Weed, and I am here with Mike. What's up, guys? There he is. Uh, we're glad to be back, and we are actually doing a series within the podcast and wrapping up today our series on Calvinism that we launched on when Mike taught through 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul seems to teach something that sounds like what we might call unlimited atonement. And so we've looked at all five points of the Calvinistic soteriological system. That just means having to do with salvation. That's all that word means. T-U-L-I. And last time we looked at P. And today we're going to do a little uh, wrap-up, or as you called it, Mike, exit episode. So you want to take it away? Yeah. So we just wanted to end with uh, at least hopefully throwing out some clarity as to why we did this and what we think some of our final thoughts are or applications for these things. So... Uh, first, we'll give you three reasons why why we kind of did this. First is because we hope that this has provided a better understanding of two, I'm going to call them biblical systems of theology. Sure. We, we wanted to do the good versions of both. There are bad versions of both. Uh, and I think it's important if you're thinking through these issues, honestly, you know, somebody started asking you questions. A lot of times what gets put forward is, I'll say, um, like a false version of what the true theology is. Uh, some people are trying to explain it in ways that aren't actually the classical version of Calvinism or Arminianism. And those are all always easier to reject. Yes. Because they're usually pretty bad. Yeah. So we're trying to, you know, if you're thinking through this for the first time or... Uh, even you've thought about it a little bit. We're not trying to, per se, win people to one side or the other, although we're honest as to where we and our church are. We want people to think about it reasonably and clearly. Uh, you know, you, hopefully you can see, like, you can't actually be a four-point Calvinist or a three-point Calvinist. It doesn't actually work because the logic behind the theological system traces its way through all the different points. Yeah, Calvinism works a certain way. Yes. Exactly. So, you know, I, I, we think that uh, hopefully anybody on either side of this issue is listening and saying, yeah, that's fair. Um, and we get that and we would embrace that person as a brother and be like, yeah, no, this is the good version the good version of this theology that you could lean on and hold to. So um, one of the things we do want to throw out there, uh, and one of our criticisms might be, uh, sometimes people conflate good Calvinistic theology with actual divine revelation or the Bible itself or the gospel itself. And they make their Calvinism their Christian identity. Now, this should be true for Calvinism or Arminianism. Sure. Nobody yep. should identify as that. And the reality is just, I think, most people don't make their Christianity or claim the gospel is Arminian theology. This usually leans more on the Calvinistic edge of things. It is funny that you see that, uh, we'll call it a phenomenon. Yeah, so like we would not have these be one in the same. And we think it's important to recognize, that's why we said in the beginning of our episodes, they're theological discussions. 
yes. about divine revelation. The, these are both secondary. They are under what the scripture actually declares to us. They are our way of trying to reconcile in a healthy and we'll say biblical way the truths that are there. But, you know, we, so me and Brian used to tag team youth ministry years yeah, ago. Yeah. <laughs> and we showed this video that was a great video Did we somebody show put it? together. Yeah, oh, we I showed it. That we showed it. It's As a great an video. example, we showed this video that people put together and they called it the Calvinist, but it was just about somebody who lived Christian life. It's just the Christian. Yeah, they were reading their Bible in the morning, they were going to work, they were loving their their spouse and their kids, and it was just kind of a compilation of a normal life. And it was great. That's awesome. And it was great, so, so great moving. that we shared it. But in the beginning, we had to say, this isn't about the Calvinist, this is about a Christian. <laughs> so to to identify Christian life with the direct doctrine is taking it a step too far, we would say. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, you hear this directly. You hear Calvinists say, Calvinism is the gospel. I was thinking that I think, I th- again, we have tried to, to say, what's the biblical faithful version of this? And so I think the reason people say Calvinism is, is the gospel is that there's a way of conceiving of salvation from a Calvinistic perspective that is, and we actually talked about it on the last episode in Perseverance of the Saints, where in the Candace Zort they say, if God didn't sovereignly cause us to persevere, we would fall away. Yeah. And so, and I'm not saying this critically at all. I, I get the, 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 the thought behind it. The thought is, why would you say Calvinism is the gospel? Because if God didn't come in sovereignly, unilaterally, and rescue us, we would never be rescued. Therefore, the message that God is sovereign this particular way in all of salvation, a Calvinist says, is really good news. Um, and I understand that. Uh, and of course, I think people from the Arminian side would agree that it wouldn't be good news if Christians were preaching a message that really didn't save anyone and that gave glory to people. Sure. No, no Arminian is like, no, we want a contingent message that glorifies humanity. No one's really saying that. But I think the Arminian reply would be just really simple, actually. The Bible clearly teaches that people can believe and that God constructed the gospel proclamation in this way. If you believe, you'll be saved. Acts. That's Acts chapter 16, verse 31. So I think an Arminian what what the Arminians like side kind of sees in the Bible is that God doesn't really seem to be concerned that telling humans to believe in the gospel robs him of glory. And in fact, the faith of men and women actually does glorify him. And he's not concerned that calling people to believe makes salvation too uncertain or contingent since he knows beforehand that the gospel will work. This is how God's foreknowledge works. He knows that if the gospel is preached, some people will believe. Uh, And so Arminians think that the Calvinist fears that make them want to identify their system with the gospel are just unfounded fears. They're fears the scriptures don't share. I I think from a more Arminian perspective, it would simply be untrue that Calvinism is the gospel because we can tell people, and this is how it sort of falls out for me, I can tell someone that Jesus is Lord and that they need to repent and believe, and he'll save them of their sins. And I've told them the gospel and that's without ever discussing Calvinism. Mm-hmm. So it can't just be that we yeah. can't conflate them. I, I think it's important, too, for, you know, if you're coming to our church, you're thinking through these issues, 
understanding a solid, we want people to be good Armenians or Calvinists as opposed to anything else. Yeah. But we want them to be believers who are in our family first before they're identified by anything else. And if I get identified by my theology over my life in Christ, something is wrong. Something's thrown up. And we think it leads actually to bad things as well. Like it can John, be division. Yeah, John, division. We'll talk about some of that. But George Whitfield and John Wesley were preaching the gospel. Yes. Even though they're on opposite sides of this theological spectrum. Um, Spurgeon, actually, I mentioned this earlier, in his art, is actually in his article, A Defense of Calvinism, which is at the end of uh, one of the volumes of Calvin's Institutes, which I'm reading. Yeah. And which are wonderful, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he put this. Uh, Spurgeon says this, there is no soul living who holds more firmly to the doctrine of grace than I do. That's what he calls Calvinism, the doctrine of grace. And if any man asks me whether I am ashamed to be called a Calvinist, I answer, I wish to be called nothing but a Christian. If you ask me, do I hold the doctrinal views which were held by John Calvin? I reply, I do in main hold them. And rejoice to avow. Yeah, there you go. So, so balanced, right? Spurgeon says, if you're going to ask him, is he a Calvinist? He's going to say, no, I want to be known as a Christian. Do you hold to the doctrines of John Calvin? He says, yeah, mostly. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mostly I do, which is really what both shot, both sides should be able to share and hold to. And um, I, I think even probably most Calvinists would agree. They have their own cage Calvinism yeah. jokes, right? Most Reformed guys would agree I think with this point that it leans a little bit more on the Calvinist side to make it an identity of life as opposed to the secondary systematic theology you hold that helps you understand divine revelation. And a boundary line sometimes for people who are saved and aren't saved or saved and you hear people say like, yes, nearly saved if you're not Calvinist. And we just be like, oh, let's not talk that way. Yes. So the second thing I, I hope that this has helped people with and we've mentioned this a couple times, is to recognize the difference between theology and revelation. So it's the difference between logical deductions and divine inspiration. The God gave us something in the Bible, and we try to reconcile those verses. Like we just talked about in the last episode, there's verses that look like we have our salvation secure, and then there's warnings about persevering. So our theology and how we reconcile those is our deductions from scripture. But what is in the scripture is true, whether I understand it or not. And it's important, I think, for people to recognize the scripture is the thing I have to hold to, not my theology. Because what can happen is I can get those flipped. I can start to interpret the scripture through my theology versus allow the scripture to define my theology. And I think this might, again, be one of our criticisms uh, of Calvinistic theology, and not just Calvinistic, people can make this mistake anywhere, where they work from a logical deduction down to Scripture instead of working from Scripture up to your logical deductions. Uh, And again, what I mean by that, I might have mentioned this before again, people can say God is impassable, means God doesn't have passions or emotions, but when you, which makes logical sense because he's God, he controls everything, yep. he knows everything. He's not shocked by everything. But when you read the Bible, yes. 
the Bible says something different. So I either work from what the Bible says and I must maybe change my definition of impassibility or I work from a logical construct of God down and I reinterpret what those passages mean about God having feeling. And if you ever heard somebody logically work out why God is impassable, it's powerful. And you go, sure, uh, yeah, uh, I guess. But when you hear what it means, it is hard to actually square with what you read in the Bible. So that was a perfect example. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, I hope that helps the normal person. You don't have to fear some of these theological systems you don't totally understand. Uh, you don't have to understand everything. It's not up to you to go understand all forms of theology. There's way too much out there for one human being to understand. There, The truths of the Bible are already reconciled because they're in the Bible. So I can believe them. If God gave you your mind, exercise your mind. We're helping people do this, we hope, with this discussion about theology. Um, it's great to look into it, but you shouldn't have to fear uh, because a theological system begins to get you tripped up a little bit. Or feel the pressure to keep it all straight. Sure. Um, you know, the, in the years when I, not that I'm not still working things out, but there was more t- times in my life where I was working mm-hmm. on this more earlier on. And I remember, you know, you hit those things, those points of theology where you're like, well, I don't know if I believe that. And you feel pressure because it's, it's not going to fit into some system. But over and over again, it, I, you kind of just did it with God's impassibility, Mike. Over and over again, it's like you read a verse and you go, well, but this is what this verse says. Uh, Lord, I think I'm just going to believe what this verse says. I don't really understand how it fits together with everything, but will you help me as I move forward? Yeah. If there's anything I need to fit together. And I think the way you've been dividing it up, Scripture and theology, is helpful. And I think one way to see what that points us to is Statements in Scripture that are so, like, Christ died for sinners, there's a sense in which that's theology, but really what what I think you're pointing out, Mike, is it's when Scripture's less clear than that, then we need to do theological work to put pieces together. And anytime the Scripture is a little more vague, I probably said this on the podcast before, one of the things that's helped me over the years is to realize I did, I did say this in another episode. God's vagueness is just as intentional as his exactness, yeah. which means he wants me to feel more sure and be more passionate and more dogmatic about the statements of Scripture, Christ died for sinners, yeah. than the theological ways I have to put together less clear statements, which is a pointer to me for what he cares more about. He cares more about me spending more time thinking and talking about the clear statements of Scripture than my theology. And there are times when we can get caught up into liking our theology because yeah. not everyone's into this, but for certain kinds of brains, it is fun to and, and enjoyable to work out logical constructs and yeah. put things together. But if I like doing that and I like arguing for those positions more than I care about holding to and preaching the gospel and talking about the clear statements of Scripture, I've already begun to get a little bit off base. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we can see that practice. I'll just not even in just in Reformed churches, even in Armenian churches, with usually more practical things, and the the Reformed one usually more the soteriology. You can end up teaching theology and not actually teaching yes. the Bible. Where yes. where you're not focusing on what the Bible says, you're focusing on your presuppositions about how it all works out, and that's harmful to people because we're meant to teach God's word. So. We should have our theologies. Again, 
we're, we're talking about two healthy versions, but one of the things we want to keep here, and this is why part of why we're doing study plus is because we're not, we don't want to take the preaching of the yeah, word right. and make it preaching of theology. It's, because that's not what God has it You don't want for. to take six months. Wednesday nights in a row to talk about Calvinism. I do not. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, the reality is there's passages where I should definitely sound like a Calvinist, and then there's passages where I should definitely sound more Arminian because of what the Bible teaches. And I should, my emphasis should remain there and be clear there. And there can be a danger when I don't see the difference between those two things. So we think it's important for anybody thinking through these issues to recognize there's a difference there. Otherwise, you feel undue pressure mm-hmm. and you could be led into undue places, we'll yep. say. Um, now, the third thing, the last thing that we want to throw out here that we hope is is part of this is we believe it's wrong to divide the body of Christ and draw dividing lines in the body of Christ or break fellowship over two good forms of theological systems. Right Now, the Bible has a lot of uh, warnings and issues about bad doctrine and throwing them out. Yeah. But in terms of biblical doctrine and ways to work out things that are not clear, uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't divide over this issue. And I think it's really important to see, again, that's why I love the Whitfield Wesley just picture. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Holy Spirit was working in these two men's lives. They were on direct opposite poles of this issue but they were literal personal friends <laughs> yeah they lived at the same time they lived they at the together. same yep. time god worked through both of their ministries and they've both laid out a wonderful historic legacy and even the same thing with luther and melanchthon like yep. it seems like god almost did it on purpose so where people begin to divide in a wrong way over these issues I think it's important because they're doing something the Holy Spirit is not doing. And so we don't want people to break friendships, measure friendships, leave church fellowships negatively, slander, misconstrue, misconstrue or or actively try to always convert yeah, Christians that's a big one. to their side of this theology. So you can have a discussion, that's fine. If you land in that arena, that's fine. But the reality is, like, I, I think either of us could go to Alistair Begg's church and be perfectly happy, you know? And I think he would like us. And I think he would like <laughs> us, yes. And we know there are people who come here that are more reformed in their theology, and I think that they should be able to find a home in a Calvary Chapel because the emphasis is going to be the teaching of the Word. Right. Um, and they shouldn't have to necessarily leave just because I become a Calvinist. And we've also seen that happen. And honestly, it's heartbreaking. And we don't believe the Holy Spirit is the one leading people to do those things. Yeah, I I taught Romans 9 through 11 in like one study one time in young adults, and there were two young, passionate Calvinists, and they came right up, and I was like, oh, no, 
because uh, <laughs> I didn't I, I taught what I think the text says and they loved it and I wanted to almost be like did you hear that I didn't say <laughs> but I didn't even bother I think that you know I don't know if everyone else operates this way for me personally I don't know if this helps anybody I like talking about theology I like talking about these subjects but most of the time when Calvinism comes up I try to do a quick little test like will this be will this be tense for this person whichever side they're on especially if they're a passionate Calvinist and I usually find that I just try not to I try not to discuss discuss it because if it's gonna at all cause angst or division in my experience it's just not worth it I mean there's times I'm not gonna avoid always talking about it and if someone's ready to hey why do you work out this out differently Mm -hmm. great listen to the podcast we'll talk about it Uh, but a lot of times I feel like I just sense like, mm, I don't really need to, I don't need to prove my point. If this brother's a Calvinist, praise the Lord. I hope we can keep going to church together. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for. Yeah. So again, from that Spurgeon article, A Defense of Calvinism, one of the things he says is, but far be it from me even to imagine that Zion contains none but Calvinistic Christians within her walls or that there are none saved who do not hold our views. So... Yeah, we realize, like, and he would hold those views very, as he said, passionately. But he understands it's not, it's not the salvation of everyone, uh, as if there's only Calvinistic Christians in heaven. So it's important, I think, for us in the body of Christ to realize the to divide the brotherhood that God has established in salvation over these theological lines, which are guesses yeah biblical guesses but good biblical guesses but still guesses how this all works out about some of the most difficult things in the bible the mystery of salvation to divide over that is not a work of the lord and what it actually shows is i don't really understand these issues with the maturity that i think i might understand these issues with if i feel like that's the necessary step for me this probably takes us too far afield but that's such a great thought to ponder because the Bible never holds out truth as adherence to a facts as the only as the only quality of truth that matters. It always yeah. mixes truth with love, truth with concern for other people, truth with God's glory. And so if I'm right in a way that divides and hurts, then there's something unright about what I'm doing. And it, it might even affect the actual content of the truth I say I hold. So sure. yeah, it's, it's something important to think about. And we've all erred. I mean, I don't know if you have, Mike. I've erred in that direction. So it's always a helpful thing to to remember. Yeah. I'll throw out one more positive story here. Uh, I was reading a book that was a great book written by a, a reformed brother. And it was actually a type of book that I wanted to recommend. Like, we could throw this out at the pastor's conference, you know? Yeah. And there was a line in there where he talks about it. One of these pastors, he was he was speaking about their ministry, and he said this pastor in his day and age fought against universe fought against all types of errors such as universalism and Arminianism. <laughs> <laughs> so it was literally like a fly in the ointment because like I want to recommend this book to to a whole bunch of guys that yeah. are technically not Calvinists, right? They're Arminian. And we're essentially uniting universalism. Which is heresy. With, which is heresy. With It's like, you know, like saying Oprah's an Arminian or something like yeah. that. Like these two things are not equal. And it's a brother that I know 
having read some of his stuff, he's a well-known name. Like, he knows better than this type of thing. So I don't normally do this. But I shot him an email and just said, hey, I know you don't know me, but I'm a pastor in this church. I loved your book. I want to recommend it. But like just a few pages in, you have this line that isn't really even honest. And it would harm a bunch of people that I think would actually be blessed by your material. Can you just pray about changing this? Right. So, and he wonderfully, he had no need to do this. I don't know him on a personal level or anything. Shot me back an email and said, yes, I understand what you're saying. I will pray about changing that in subsequent chat uh, runnings of the book. Like, that was this shouldn't cool. be an issue. Yeah, which was great, you know? So I appreciate the the brotherhood of Christ and being able to recognize there are lines that we have to stand on and that we do divide over. This is not one of the ones that God is in his word or even in history showing us that we need to divide the body of Christ over this issue. Yeah, important to, I think, let the Bible push us in that direction. A couple times in this series, I've quoted this book, Calvinism, A Biblical and Theological Critique. And I just, I wanted to note before we were done here, at the end of that book, Trevin Wax writes the epilogue. And I think that's pretty significant because... The book is specifically critiquing Calvinism, and Trevin Wax is a Calvinist who writes for the Gospel Coalition. A lot of you guys uh, listening to this know it's, it's a, I'll say, fairly Calvinist, to put it mildly, website, <laughs> uh, which I also happen to really appreciate, and I use it a lot. It is an, it's just mm-hmm. an awesome resource. The epilogue, and he writes for the Gospel Coalition, and he has for a long time, and his epilogue is titled Calvinists and Non-Calvinists Together for the Gospel. I think a little... A little reference to the conference, the Calvinist conference together for the gospel. I love it. And it's a really good read. And he gives five suggestions in it for Calvinists and non-Calvinists to work together. I just wanted to run through those. The first one he says is, so this is going out to everybody, believers. Mm -hmm. Don't put the debate over Calvinism on par with the disagreement over the gospel itself, which is basically what we were just saying. Uh, And he writes this, I still believe it is problematic to describe the doctrines of grace as the gospel because the New Testament does not present the gospel as a systematized look at soteriology, uh, the doctrine of how we get saved, but as the announcement of events that display the identity of Jesus the Messiah. We must not confuse our systematic presentations of soteriology with the gospel itself. Such confusion sends young Calvinists back to their churches thinking that if their pastors haven't parsed the petals of tulip, that's what he writes, <laughs> they aren't really good gospel preachers. And he says, we should avoid speaking of doctrinal development in terms that sound like a second conversion or getting saved all over again. He's talking to Calvinists mm-hmm. mostly there. Um, I thought that was great. The second point he makes is, avoid making arguments based not on your opponent's beliefs, but on the potential t- trajectory of those beliefs. Uh, I think that one's difficult for Calvinists and Arminians. Yeah. I find that's very difficult for me to do. I want to I want to say to a Calvinist brother, but that makes God the author of sin because yeah. to me it seems so obvious. But as we've said, I think, and they you and say, I have talked about, like, that th- makes you a Pelagian exactly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they specifically say, no, God's not the author of sin. And Wax just makes a really good point. Let's respect that people say that. Um, I don't want to be called a Pelagian. They don't want me to say that they're making God the author. So that's great. Mm -hmm. I love that. Third, recognize that a spectrum exists, not two opposing sides. This is really mature and helpful. Yes. We're not on two opposite sides. We're on the same line spectrum, 
And there's not even just two positions. There's actually a bunch of different yes. biblical positions within both camps. Yes. So I think even a person like Charles Spurgeon, who says the doctrines of grace aren't the gospel, but if if he said directly they were, you realize there's a bunch of Calvinists that he disagree with. So hey. so within even Calvinism, there's, there are levels guys won't go to in terms of how they work out limited atonement, whether children are saved or... So you can't just say Calvinism is the gospel because there's bad versions of it that you wouldn't agree with. And the same thing with Arminians. We would we would not all agree in terms of whether you can lose your salvation or how much prevenient grace works in the process of salvation. Or there are things that we would say, no, that's a bad version. That is Pelagian or that is a works-based salvation. So neither of them can claim exclusivity when you realize there's a spectrum there. And within the spectrum of good ones, there's diff- there's different. Sure. And some are more Arminian and less Calvinist, and some are more Calvinist. There's not. It's not a hard and fast line. Uh, Wax himself notes that I don't think he believes in all five points, even though we've tried to make it clear that's not really possible. <laughs> there are a lot of people. I'm a four point Calvinist. Yeah. We're basically mixing Arminianism and Calvinism. Yeah. Uh, A.W. Tozer talked that way sometimes. Yeah. You hear people say this. Why? Because a spectrum exists. Yes. Not two yep. opposing sides. It was a great point by Wax. The first thing, a uh, fourth thing he says is keep discussions about soteriology connected to missions. And I like this. His point there in the chapter is that if we're talking about the gospel, we should be concerned about preaching the gospel, not just winning debates against other Christians. Mm-hmm. And this is a quote from him. He says, I'm not interested in people theologizing for theology's sake. Theology matters because theology is about God, and our view of God impacts our involvement in missions. Let's be clear. There's no true gospel center that does not lead to missions. Uh, Sorry, no true gospel-centeredness is what he says. That does not lead to missions because the gospel is the story of a God with a missionary heart. You hear people talk like this. A father who desires all to come to repentance and a shepherd who seeks and saves the one lost sheep. And so Wax's point is just, let's not forget... Jesus didn't say, go forth, therefore, and get your theology straight. Yeah. He said, go preach the gospel. Theology is important, and we love it, and we should be clear about our beliefs. But this that's a great point to make. And then fifth, and you had actually said this earlier, Mike. He just says, don't be afraid to sound like yeah. the Bible. Yeah. And you say, if, you, if you're reading a verse that talks about God's sovereignty, don't be afraid to talk about God's sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I think those, those things are all certainly great. Um, so... You know, we hope this was helpful for folks. Um, we, if you have questions here at our church, obviously you're welcome to to ask us. Um, you know, if you want to argue with us, we don't really want to argue. <laughs> <laughs> but we love to have conversations and help somebody who's really kind of thinking through those issues. But, uh, yeah, really in the end, I think that last point is great. If you can believe what the Bible says and then work out your theology after that, Great. Trust the Bible. Work out your own theology. Amen to that. Amen to that. So this concludes our first series here on Study Plus. <laughs> and uh, we will, we're willing, move on into maybe Galatians and some issues that come up there or even beyond next time. So see ya. See y'all later.